and welcome to the Why Behind the What. My name is Nathan Albert, and as always, I am so glad you are listening to this podcast. If you're new, if you haven't been listening for too long, first off, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And in this season, I've been talking about how ancient and contemplative spirituality have opened my faith, they've healed my soul, and they've given me greater ways to live life to the fullest. These include practices such as meditation, centering prayer, silence, Lexio Divina, journaling, solitude, and much more. The last handful of episodes, I've been interviewing friends and colleagues, authors, priests, professors, who have experiences and expertise with some of these contemplative practices. And on this episode, I have the chance to speak with Yael Shai, who I first met and heard speak at the National Association of College and University Chaplains Annual Conference. That is quite the title, huh? She spoke on rest as resistance and revolution. And after hearing it, I knew I needed to get her onto this podcast. Yael is a senior director of NYU's Global Spiritual Life Center. She's the founder and director of Mindful NYU, which is the largest campus-wide mindfulness initiative in the country. And she's the author of the book, What Now? Meditation for Your 20s and Beyond. Yael shares how meditation has revolutionized her life, how it's rekindled her faith, and how it's allowed her to have tools to manage anxiety and stress. And for both of us, meditation became this way for us to have a full, fuller and calmer life. One of the points that struck a deep chord with me was her definition that meditation is ending internal suffering and enhancing love externally. That meditation helps end suffering such as our inward anxiety and the lies we believe about ourselves and the stress that's in our heads and the thoughts that add so much noise to our lives. And that it enhances our ability to love ourselves and to love others and to be a calm and loving presence in the world. And I hadn't thought about this definition before, but I keep coming back to it, and I think it's utterly beautiful. She also guides us at the end of the podcast episode through a short meditation, which I hope you will enjoy and will be the start of ending suffering in your life. You can learn more about her on her website, which is yaelshai.com. You can also follow her on social media with the handle yaelshai with the number one at the end. I also have a bunch of these links in the show notes, so if you want more ways to get connected to her, as well as some of the resources we talk about in this episode, check out those show notes. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, one way you can show it to the world is you can rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and you can also share it on your social media accounts. It's easy. You can do it. I have faith in you, and I'll love you forever. You can also sign up for my newsletter, nathanelbert.com. Send out a monthly newsletter with exclusive reflections, thoughts, blogs, and some other free things once in a while. And finally, honoring those who have originally lived where I now live, this podcast was written, recorded, and edited on Monacan land. And with that, here's my interview with Yael Shai. Welcome to the podcast. And I would love, as we begin, just share a little bit about who you are personally, what you do professionally, let our listeners in a little bit about what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Yael Shai, and I am the, professionally, I'm the Senior Director for Spiritual Life at New York University, 
and the founder and director of Mindful NYU, which is the largest campus-based mindfulness initiative in the country. Um, And I have a book called What Now? Meditation for Your 20s and Beyond. And personally, what I do is uh, a lot of meditation. (laughs) The professional and the professional are one. Um, And a lot of... um, trying to figure out like what matters in life and the different kinds of forms that go along with that. I have lived in New York for a long, long time, but I currently am actually in Ohio at my sister's house, weathering the storm out here. I have two small kids, a two-year-old and a one-year-old and, um, and a husband. And I um, am really enjoying having even a little bit more nature around me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I've, I've loved, well, we just bought a house about a year ago and I'm starting to love yard work because it gets me out of the house, even though I can't stand it like gardening and mowing the lawn in this season right now. I don't mind going out and mowing the lawn and getting outside. Oh, it's yeah. so yeah. huge. And it's so huge when that, when everything is just in such an upheaval, like in the world and in the news to just get yourself anywhere near like nature. Cause nature doesn't really care right now. Like it's mm-hmm. very happy. <laughs> That's right. It's doing its thing. <laughs> it's doing its thing. And it's such a like delicious break. Yeah. I'd love to, um, hear a little bit about your kind of journey of meditation, as well as I know some of this is in your book, What Now? But can you share a little bit, um, how is it that you came to discover meditation? And then how has it impacted you positively as a person, as a professional, as a parent, all that? Yeah, so I, um, I was in college, and I was I was always an anxious person my whole life, but when I went to college, it really escalated. And I, um, I never had meditated before then. And I had done like maybe one yoga class and found it very boring. And so I just, I didn't really have any access to that world, but I was falling apart in many ways. I had some PTSD. I was extremely just overwhelmed with kind of existential questions of like, what is life about and what is the purpose of any of it? Um, And it was during 9-11 and my parents were divorced and I was going through a breakup. And so just lots of factors on top of each other. Um, And then I went on a seven-day silent meditation retreat. It was in the Jewish meditation tradition. I had no idea what it was. If I had known, I would probably never have signed up. I just, I thought it sounded kind of relaxing and didn't really read the literature and got there and was like shocked to learn that all day long, every day I would be meditating. And that was pretty much the repertoire of what was on the schedule. For a whole week. A whole week um, in silence. And with others though? Yes. And my sister actually came too, but we didn't talk to each other all week. Um, and it just, it it was not, you know, I subsequently went on many, many, many more of these retreats and now I teach them. But that first one, I think it's just almost comical, like what I thought it was going to be versus what it actually was. Um, and so in the first couple of days, when I started to understand what this is, what we were doing, I just started my panic, my anxiety was just going through the roof. And in that time, I met with a teacher 
who really encouraged me to shine a light on the anxiety and the fear and try and figure out what is going on there. And, and when I started to do that and started to explore, I started to begin to see what the anatomy of my anxiety was rather than just living underneath it all the time. Hmm. I started to see the bottom level fears about not existing, about not being worthy and not being lovable and all of these things that were kind of animating all the other top level fears. And it opened up just a whole world for me. And so I kept going, I kept practicing a lot, a lot, a lot of years go by. And, um, and then I became a meditation teacher and it's, it's really transformed like the fiber of who I am. Like, I don't, I don't really have panic attacks anymore. I still, of course, experience anxiety, but it just is less of like an overwhelming force in my life. Hmm. That's awesome. And how is it that you even get heard of this meditation retreat, the seven day retreat? My mother is a rabbi. And so she got like one of these flyers for this retreat. It was in the very early years of when the Jewish tradition was starting to kind of adopt its own meditation retreats, kind of modeled after the Buddhist world. And so I was the youngest person there by like Mm -hmm. 45 years. I think it was really not a lot of other people like me. Um, and I, and, but, and my mom is not a meditator, but she saw I was suffering and she thought like, maybe this would be helpful. The first time I tried meditation, I was so overwhelmed with life and, um, and I, I downloaded some, I think it was Headspace app or one of the meditation apps and was in this basement of a church, had noise canceling headphones on, found myself in this little corner I said, I'm going to try this. I don't know what I'm doing. And within, I mean, the meditating teacher had a British accent, so that could have had an effect emotionally on me. But within, you know, 20 seconds, I just found myself weeping, like uncontrollable tears streaming down my face. And I almost had this kind of out of body experience where I, I felt myself looking at myself and what is happening and yet it was so freeing. And I felt like years of stress, anxiety, unknown questions, doubts, all that was literally being released through those tears. Um, wow. And when I did meditation then for that whole week, for a week straight, tears happened. That, sim- that same experience. Mm-hmm. And about a week after it, a week after doing it, the tears, I didn't cry as much, but it became such an anchor foundational practice in my life. Um, it, it calmed me and sure there's still anxiety and stress and all that, but it gave me a calm through it all. You know, did the meditation, was it like geared towards any kind of like the things you were thinking about and the things that you were working through, or was it just like kind of a run of the mill? It was a really basic one that first week, just mm. kind of a how to meditate 101. Um, and it, since then, I've done different, different guided ones and looked at different topics and all that. But it was kind of a this is what meditation is. Um, and even coming from a Christian perspective, it, you know, there, there was it was a different meditation was viewed in different ways. Some view it more as a form of prayer, right? So you pray 
rather than meditate. Some view meditation as a, you meditate on ancient scriptures. Um, but now I think there's a movement of kind of combining all these. It, it's so much more holistic than we've often made it. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that like just that was all just kind of sitting there in a like just waiting for the moment that you like right. tap into it. Yeah. Yeah, it was really freeing. It was mm-hmm. it was as if everything was being gripped onto and it was just a moment of release. Um mm. and it just it was great. One of the things that I've kind of tackled in this podcast this season has been discovering how and I think most world traditions and faith traditions have contemplative spiritual practices of some sort. Yeah. Um, and I have found some of these ancient practices have really rekindled my faith today in a different way, right? So I think I got to a point where my faith that I grew up with, that was taught to me, it just kind of fizzled out. Burnout, stress, all that it just kind of went, eh. And it was some of these ancient practices like meditation, contemplative prayer, even um, different ways of praying that really rekindled that. Did you find, I mean, because this was a Jewish retreat, did you find a rekindling of your faith through some of these practices as well? 100%. Really? Like, And I don't usually talk about that part because I, I think you're in like a kind of unique like we're resonating around these areas, but, um, but I actually remember it completely. It's not like I ever left Judaism. Like it was always, it was always special to me. It wasn't like I didn't grow up in a repressive household or anything like that. But, um, but it just, I think rekindled is a really beautiful way to describe it because it made me feel like I could start to understand the same things I had always read and learned, mm-hmm. but at such more like adult levels. So it started to take away that whole concept of like the man in the sky that was already getting old and that wasn't exactly like, didn't really make, ever make sense, but it was like, okay, fine. God is everywhere, but what does that actually mean? And it gave it like meat on the bones. Like it yeah. really, it really made it very rich. And the whole tradition got kind of seen through a different lens. And I'm still in love with that lens really. And it feels way more rich and deep to me. Um, Yeah. I thank you for that question. I really, I, I really think that's a powerful thing that meditation can do from within the faith context. Yeah. Yeah. I found it, it anchors me to something bigger than me and my one tradition or one church that I attended, right? Like it, it, and it even opened up even the kind of the inner faith movement of that. These are practices that yes, as a Christian, I found them in a Christian tradition, found them other Christian teachers, you know, have taught this, but it's not solely a Christian practice, but has, but it has opened me up to the divine in a way that some of my other Christian practices weren't doing and yet appreciating that there are Jews and Muslims who do similar practices to, as a way to connect with the divine and we can do them together. Um, and it's become, it's become a really beautiful openness to the beauty of ancient spiritual practices. Yes. And I think it's not that, 
it's not that everyone is the same. Like there's different portals and doorways and the, the different kind of configurations are beautiful and address some things and don't address other things. I really think that's true too. But there's something that is like that everyone's talking about when you get at these levels mm-hmm. that is really cool to just see like when, when, when one goes deeply, when one engages in the world in a particular way, somehow you land at this place. And that's yeah. cool. And it unites us as humans, right? Like what is happening in me as I meditate, pray, similar things are happening in your soul and in who you are as you do the same. Right, um, right. So there is this connection at a deeper level that is really powerful for me. Totally, yeah. Can you share a little bit more specifically about your book? Because um, I actually love the the subtitle, Meditation for Your 20, or 20s and Beyond. Um, share a little bit about kind of the summary of that book and kind of who your audience is for that. Yes, So um, part of it is really like geared in that direction because that's when I found meditation. That's who I work with. Most of my students are people in their 20s, um, both through NYU and also just private meditation instruction. And I find it to be, I found it, I find it to be a time that is incredibly rich with kind of decision points and, um, the upendings of what you grew up with. And then this moment where you kind of figure it out for yourself. And of course it doesn't end at 29, like it continues. So the other part of that is like, um, it's not the beyond part is real. I really want that to be real and clear. And, um, and I'm still, you know, clearly learning and growing, But I think that the book focuses on that general period of time, 20s, 30s, when you're you're kind of both at a loss of who you are and what is important and how to live in this world and find love and define who you are. Um, And also that the possibilities of it are so rich and fertile and it's like the perfect time to, to kind of um, delve into these practices, at least in my experience. Um, so that's that's what the book is. It's part kind of memoir, both my story and some of my students, and then part just like instructions of how, how these practices can help along the way, along the journey. So I have sections about um, understanding emotions really deeply and expressing emotions. I have sections about like mindfulness and relationships and mindfulness and meditation and sex and understanding social media and social justice. And so I'm trying to just explore a lot of the issues that came up for me in in my 20s and 30s and then also for my students. Mm -hmm. I found in the being at a campus as a chaplain, I've we started actually a spiritual wellness and mindfulness residential learning community. So they are all in community. But one of the things I've found in that, as well as just students in general, they, it seems there's, they lack the tools to handle anxiety, depression, emotions. Um, And that's not parents' fault or society's fault. That's just, we, you see a rise of students who have an increased, right? Studies are showing more, more anxiety, more depression, and don't have the tools to handle it. 
And I've found that meditation or different types of silence, centering prayers are absolutely essential for students, but they're unaware of it um, or unaware that they need it, right? And it's not practicing it. Usually, I think my first week I practiced meditation, I sensed it was good for me. But usually if you do a 10-minute meditation, you kind of sit there and then when you're done, you're like, huh, I'm a little more relaxed, but you don't necessarily see the fruit of it for months, I feel like. Um, how have you seen your students respond as you lead them through meditation? Yeah, I think it's, I think um, I'm aware that maybe it's a biased selection of who finds us and me. But um, but I don't I find myself needing to do a whole lot of selling at all. Like every generation that comes up at NYU, and I've been there now over 11 years, seems to be more and more aware of these practices as meditation yeah. becomes more mainstream and gets more into like the ether. So um, so at least at least at NYU, it doesn't. It feels like many people have meditated in high school. Many of the kids, and they're like seeking it. Yeah. But the, but I very much agree, at least in my experience, my, my first experience meditating was horrible. Like this whole retreat was great, you know, like that. But when I tried to sit by myself and meditate, I mean, all I faced was my own, hor you know, the way I talked to myself, which was really cruel, mm -hmm. being like, you're such a failure. You're such a loser. Everybody else can meditate. What's wrong with you? This is terrible. My mind is just not made for this. I don't want to do this ever again. And those are like, of course, you don't want to meditate when that happens. And a lot of people, I think, have that as their first experience or first couple experiences. So I do think it's really important to, um, to, to kind of as much as possible get it outside of the frame of like good and bad like there's no such thing as being a bad meditator it's like being a bad breather like you either breathe or you don't um and so i think like it's a lot of that kind of forgiveness work and and just shining that light on like how do you talk to yourself what is that inner critic voice like that's dragging you around every day and that can meditation be a place where that starts to heal and starts to change? Um, and I think the biggest thing I found about college students is like the there's they're just so wide open. Um, and when I work with adults, I love them, but there's like layers of resistance and mm. kind of jadedness and fighting that sometimes you have to get through and students have like the thinnest layer between them and like yeah. the wisdom you want to give. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. It's yeah. beautiful. I remember one time talking to a student, really kind of a horrific relationship with, I think her dad. And I finally said, you should probably forgive them almost, you know, not thinking they would, they left and went and called their dad that night and came back and was like, I forgave my dad. I did, I did what you said. I called him and I, I talked through it all. And I was like, what? You actually did what I said you should do. Um, but yeah, I, there is that. Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to, which is, which is really great. Yeah. 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 One of the things I heard 
we were both at a conference where we met was the National Association for University and College Chaplains, right? I think something like yeah. that. <laughs> yes. But you spoke a little bit about how rest was revolutionary and even resistance. Um, can you share why you think rest is so important, but then also why is it revolutionary and why is it a res- why is it resistance? Yeah. So to give full credit, um, I didn't make up this concept at all. It's been it's been part of the theme of what our like our, our student groups in our year um, in this year had been focused on, mm-hmm. um, particularly our student of color group called Stay Woke and Meditate created that um, framework, rest as resistance and rest as revolution. And so I'm just in love with it. And it's actually like, I've learned so much from them, from the students who are like really building this. And, and my take on that, on that, theme is really about that the and we've seen this like times a thousand now when when the the wheels of capitalism have kind of come to a grinding halt and or at least a pause and we see how the messages of our society for so long have been kind of telling us your worth is how productive you are and period. And like, that's your worth as a person. And you better like be productive and be and work, work, work and be the best because that's all that matters. And rest, like committing oneself to taking yourself out of that equation for even small periods of time in meditation, in, um, on retreat, like in that kind of, uh, with, withholding oneself to gather yourself and to find the worth that exists beneath just what you produce is I think really countercultural mm-hmm. and revolutionary. <laughs> and I think that's where in the Jewish tradition, in the Christian tradition, I believe two to different ways, like that Sabbath idea um, is so radical that to say like, nope, not participating in your economy for like this entire 24 hours. Um, and people who take time out of their day to pray and are committed to it, each one of those movements is I think quite a measure of resistance against a system that won't have you stop. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. I've, I've found I'm a, I'm a, constant to-do list person always wanting to do i don't know if you know the enneagram yeah right Mm -hmm. so i'm a i'm a three on the enneagram which is very task focused all the all the personality tests that i've taken are all like task oriented focused achiever get stuff done yeah and what i found in meditation centering prayer even sabbath these revolutionary acts stop me from doing and i feel like i'm doing nothing in these practices, but I'm actually learning how to be. Yeah. And being then becomes kind of the anchor for me to do. It becomes the way I recharge. So I actually can continue to do things. It also becomes the realization of I'm not what I do. Mm -hmm. I'm not what I have. I'm not what I achieve. I am not those things. Mm -hmm. Because everything inside of me believes those things. Oh, yeah, I am that. I am those degrees. I am that this. I am that. I am what I do rather than I am who I am. 
And that's been a really, I don't know, difficult yet a wonderful realization with even rest. Um, yes. That they allow me to stop doing so I can learn how to be. It's beautifully said. Absolutely. And then it's a different way of knowing, like it's a different way of being in the mm. world when you've tapped into a source that is bigger than yourself, that is interconnected with all things, and then, and come up from that source, which mm. is, I think, very much only possible when you pause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a rewiring. I mean, like you say, it's, it's resistance. It's resisting a a system that we are just born into. So of course it's unnatural. Of course it's difficult. Right. We're, learning, we're learning to be a different way than the way in which we are. That's it. And I think, I hope, I pray that like our whole society might learn that lesson um, out of this time. Yeah, agreed. What would you say to someone, maybe even one of your students, who comes to you with questions about meditation, how would, what is your hope for them? How would you frame this is how meditation can be beneficial to you? How would you, what is your wish for people as they start to explore meditation? Um, I think for me, the point of meditation is about, um, healing suffering hmm. internal and in the world and so um so there's there's uh, and within that it's like a practice that helps you to understand yourself and understand the world and kind of peel back the layers so that um so that you can see what's actually really going on here and can you bring and access love at the, at the root of it for yourself and for others mm. and the and interconnection. Um, so anything that doesn't feel like it's going in that direction, you got to retool it. So like I said, when there's the self-flagellation or anything like that, you got to find your way back to kindness and forgiveness in that practice. Mm. But that's the, that's the sort of goal, the end game, um, a way out of suffering and a way to love and interconnection. Um, so I would say in terms of practical advice to, if you can, if it's, if it's uh, possible for you to find a community or a teacher that can walk you through it, apps are great, but you're going to face, if you're serious, you're going to face some difficulties and it's really much better to work with somebody either in a community or like one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and to um and to to remember to like write down somewhere to keep it in front of you why you're doing this what you're hoping to get out of it not that you have to be goal oriented but just to remind you when your doubt comes up when life comes up the pull of capitalism and the world is strong and fomo and all of that kind of stuff so just to remind yourself like what's your heart's intention and um and to give yourself the faith that you can do it and um and I think trust that the reason you're coming to meditation is there's something in there that wants to heal and wants to grow and explore. That's beautiful. I love that definition of meditation, the, the ending of suffering and the, in, the outward ability to love 
That's Thank great. you. I'm kind of pulling it from Buddhism. So yeah, no, I do love it. <laughs> what are some resources that besides your book, um, but what are some resources you would recommend? And then also how can listeners, they want to connect with you, social media or website, how can people get connected with you? Yeah. So in terms of, I think there's a couple great books out there. Um, some of my favorites are uh, a book called Tea and Cake with Demons. If, especially if you're in this, in like the population range of like the twenties, thirties, it's, it's very similar in, in frame about like loving your self through the meditation practice. And another one I really love is called, um, uh, the way of tenderness. It's another really beautiful book, small and thin, but really good. And, um, I mean, I could go a lot longer there, but I'll just leave those two. And then apps. I really like, um, the 10% happier app, yep. um, really good quality stuff. And I also like the journey live app because that allows you to have like a live teacher. Um, although I think all the meditation studios in the world have that option at this moment, but, um, that, that those are really, really good ones. And then I think that the, um, to get in touch with me is, um, if you could, you, my website is yaelshy.com and you can email me through there. And my social media is yaelshy number one on Instagram or, um, Twitter. And, uh, and I, you know, take clients and students from all over the world and, um, and I, I'm also always happy to talk to anyone if I could be of help or service. That's great. And I'll put a link of all that, the books, as well as your resources there, uh, in the show notes too, if people want to click on that to get more info. Um, as we end, we have a few minutes, but would you lead right now? It's just going to be me, I guess you and me. Um, but <laughs> when people finally listen to this, um, can you lead us through just a short, um, opening or a short meditation, um, as a way to center ourselves and kind of just the, to the end, end, um, what we've been talking about. Sure. I would love to. So wherever you are, just take a minute to take a deep breath, relax your body, whether you're walking or sitting or driving, relax your shoulders, relax your jaw. Notice how you're feeling. Notice if there's any places of tension or holding that you can soften and release. And just notice what it feels like right now to be sitting or or standing. Notice your muscles, your bones, the sensations on your against your skin. Notice what your hands feel are touching, what your feet feel. Don't think about these things. Drop into the sensations. In those, in your body, in this moment. 
and turn your attention to sound and pay attention to the sounds around you in this moment. So obviously the sound of my voice and maybe there's other sounds in your environment. That raw experience of listening. If your eyes are open, you can just gently look around. And if your eyes are closed, you can just crack them open, look around you, and take in the visual objects that are in your environment right now, those that are beautiful, those that are not so beautiful, just the world as it is right now. looking closely as if this is the first time you've ever seen these things. And then just finish with a few breaths. You don't have to do anything. Just let life breathe you. Notice what it is to be breathed. You can bring your attention back. Whenever you're ready. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Not only for the meditation, but for the work you're doing in New York, as well as um, your work online, as well as sharing what you shared uh, not only here, but also where we met at that conference. It was an impactful panel discussion, so I appreciate uh, all the work you're doing um, to end suffering and to help people find love. I really appreciate that, Yao. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me and doing all that you do. It's really a pleasure. Friends, as you let life breathe you, seeking to end suffering internally and extend love externally. May you have peace, may you have calm, and may you have happiness.